So could you read Deuteronomy 13 for us, please? Okay, Deuteronomy 13, worshipping other gods. If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder spoken of takes place and the prophet says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death for inciting rebellion against the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. That prophet or dreamer tried to turn you from the way the Lord your God commanded you to follow. You must purge the evil from among you. If your very own brother or your son or daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death, because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid, and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God is giving you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods you have not known. Then you must inquire, probe, and investigate it thoroughly. And if it is true, and it has been proved that this detestable thing has been done among you, you must certainly put to the sword all who live in that town. You must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. You are to gather all the plunder of the town into the middle of the public square and completely burn the town and all its plunder as a whole burned offering to the Lord your God. That town is to remain a ruin forever, never to be rebuilt, and none of the condemned things are to be found in your hands. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger, will show you mercy, and will have compassion on you. He will increase your numbers, as he promised on oath to your ancestors. Because you obey the Lord your God by keeping all his commands that I am giving you today and doing what is right in his eyes. Helen, Helen, thank you uh, for that. And uh, wow, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I find that shocking, absolutely shocking uh, <laughs> to my uh, sensibilities of today, that is a, uh, a confronting passage. 
So what I'm going to do today is uh, I'm going to invite a, a friend to come and help me uh, think of what questions we should be asking. So uh, Will, could I ask you to come and join me? Uh, I, I'm going to invite Will Pethick now. Uh, we would give him a round of applause if, if we were all here, but Will, thank you so much. Grab a seat. I'll just give you some hand sanitizer. Uh, you want to take your mask off first. Good man. There we go. And uh, so Will and I uh, have had a number of discussions about all sorts of things, and uh, Will, Will asked some really good, tough questions. I thought he'd be a great guy to uh, help me with this passage. And uh, so a few weeks ago, Will, I said, I'm going to look at Deuteronomy 13, and uh, I asked if you'd go away and come up with some questions. Now, the interesting thing is, I don't know what questions he's going to ask. We thought we'd do this in a way that was a little bit uh, sort of on the edge. So, uh, Will, over to you. What questions spring to your mind as you read that passage? And I'm actually going to take notes because we haven't scripted this. So, so far away. Yeah, well, thanks for asking me to do this, Pete. Um, yeah, like yourself, very confronting passage um, and kind of a thousand things came into my mind when I read it. Um, a big one for me is uh, the immutability of God. So, uh, What do you mean by that word? What, yeah, what immutability? so if God is the same um, yesterday, t today, and forever, um, this God, what I wrote down here is, this God in Deuteronomy 13 doesn't seem like the loving God I know from the New Testament. It seems like God is softer now. <laughs> comma, help, exclamation mark. <laughs> um, so my main question is, well, isn't God the same in character in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but from the Gospels and from the letters, um, it seems like God has somewhat softened up um, compared to the Yahweh God in this passage. Um, yeah. Great, great question. So... I'm just going to make sure I've got that right. So basically the question, is God of the Old Testament, of this passage, the same as the God that we read about in the New Testament? So that's question number one. Now, what, what I'm going to propose, Will, is that I'm going to respond to you. Uh, I'm going to get, get you give us your best couple of questions, maybe two or three. Um, and then I'm going to respond to you as I would have if I was just having a conversation with someone before I'd done any research on this. Uh, and then I'm going to invite you back later on at the end of the message and I'm going to hopefully have some better answers for you. Um, but why don't you just hit me? That's a great question. Have you got one or two others that you want to throw in? Uh, and then I'll, I'll have a go at responding. Yeah, no worries. Um, another one I had is, uh, so the specific passage about you being the first one to throw the stone um, when it's, uh, when it's uh, the false prophet or the dreamer is your brother, son, or someone close to you, it, it actually commands you to be the first to throw the stone and to kill this person. Um, and I wrote down here, why would you need to throw the first stone to someone who was dear to you? This would be the worst thing ever, <laughs> in, my, in my language. Um, yeah. It's another question. So question number two, why does the, uh, the, the close person have to be the first one to throw the stone? Yep. yep. Okay, any, or not any others, but maybe just one or possibly two others, because this is going to take us a while to unpack, yeah. Um, and then another one is, does God kill innocent people? When he destroys a whole city because of a few troublemakers, um, 
is God in that process of destroying the whole city, like it's said in Deuteronomy 13, is he actually killing innocent people? And then I wrote, how is this a loving God? Great. So, so a little bit related to that first question, but yeah. does God kill innocent people and, and probably why? You know, what, what's that about? Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I feel like that's going to give us pl- plenty to work on. Um, was your next question a, a burning one or would you be happy if we could just tackle those to start with? Yeah, I've got a few others, but happy to tackle just those, I reckon. I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we start with these um, and then when we talk again a little bit later on, as we start to unpack those, if we've got anywhere near some sort of answer, then we can see if we toss in the next few. Does that sound okay? Sounds great. So, so look, here's, my, here's the way I think I'd respond to you, Will, if... if well, if I had done no looking at this passage and we were just sitting down for a coffee, I think my first response to you would be, they are very good questions. They're similar to my questions as I read through them. Um, I'd probably say something like, I, I do believe that Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that, and it says that all of Scripture is useful for us to learn. And so even though I struggle to understand this passage... I do believe it's there for a reason. So I'm probably not someone who just throw it out and say, ah, it's too hard, let's get rid of it. You know, so, so that's one thing I'd say. Um, and the other thing I would say, I'd sort of answer your question about, you know, is God different? And I would say, I, I absolutely deeply believe God is a God of love um, because I, I have a relationship with Jesus. Um, that, that's what I base my life on. Um, and so I know God is a God of love and what I'll be doing as I go away and try and figure out some better answers for you is how can I understand this passage in that context? Um, and the other thing I'd say to you is, mate, I don't know all the answers. <laughs> so they're probably the three things I can say I would, know, I would answer you with. Um, and then I'd probably say, Will, can we catch up later for another coffee um, when I've had a chance to go away and look at this stuff? So that may not be satisfying, but that's probably how I'd answer you initially. So why don't I say thank you to you, uh, let you go, and I'll call you back a little bit later and uh, see if I've got some better answers for you. So thanks very much. I'll let you go. No worries, Pete. Awesome. Thanks. Now, as Will, as Will heads out, so uh, obviously I have done a little bit of work on this passage, and, and I just wanted to model that idea of when we first encounter these questions, particularly if it's this person of peace or someone in our lives saying, what about this and what about that? That's how I might initially handle a conversation. But then I'd go away and I'd try and figure out some better answers. And how would I do that? Well, the first thing that I would do is I'd pray. And I thought that would be useful for us to do together right now as we together try and digest what God's saying. So would you join me right now and let's just bring this before our God. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for who you are. We believe that you are a good God. And we thank you for the word, the scripture that you've given us, which we believe is useful for us to learn and to wrestle with. We pray that in this instance, Lord, right now, as we digest and ask these questions that Will's given us, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us your insight? Help us to be able to answer these well. Thank you and amen. So that's, that's certainly a place that I go first is, Lord help, I don't know the answers. Now another place that I go, and you probably do too, is the internet. Uh, there's lots and lots of resource on the internet. 
a caution though. Whilst there's some great stuff, there's also some stuff that, well, is quite interesting and perhaps not exactly where I would be coming from. And as I've looked up this particular passage, Deuteronomy 13, that is absolutely true. There is all sorts of stuff on the internet. So how do we discern? Uh, well, I, I want to give you a couple of places to go uh, that I think are good, uh, and then just a thought about how to discern. Uh, if you've heard of the Bible Project, that's an online resource that's absolutely tremendous, and uh, it gives some great graphics and just talks through very simply, usually six, seven minutes on a, on a whole book of the Bible with some very solid theology. There are some great podcasts. Uh, Yvette Cherry, again, last week, shared uh, one of her favourite people and their podcasts. Uh, and so if you find somebody that you can trust uh, and that you, you know some of their background and where they're coming from, that can be re really useful. Similarly, blogs. Uh, our own Dr. Brian Harris has a blog uh, which has some really interesting uh, and helpful information on it about all sorts of topics. So if you go to the internet, it's about trying to make sure that you know where the person's coming from and some of the background and testing it with other things. Now, another place to go with for resources is, is a little bit old school, but it's a library. And, and in libraries, whether they're online or, uh, or books, uh, there are scholars who have spent their lives on individual books, studying individual books of the Bible. Uh, and, and they have great wisdom on certain passages. Uh, many of these books and commentaries are what we call peer-reviewed, which means that other scholars have also looked at it and said, yep, look, that makes sense. Even if we don't necessarily absolutely agree with where you're coming from, this is a legitimate piece of work. And so that's a great resource to go to as well for a passage like this, which is quite deep and challenging. And finally, I think it's really important and very, very helpful to talk to people that we respect and trust. And we have a number of those in each of our congregations, both at Harrisdale and Forestdale. We have some people that, that I certainly deeply respect and trust their views. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could invite a couple of them to join us this morning? And so I'm going to invite uh, Dr. John Ollie and Yvonne Kilpatrick to come and join us on stage. So guys, I'm, I'm gonna hand sanitize you as you come. Maybe we'll take our masks off first. Thanks, John. Thanks, Vaughn. There you go. A little bit for you. There we go. This is in our COVID world, we get everything organised. Fantastic. A little bit for you. There you go. Now, uh, John and Vaughn, so thank you again so much for joining me. And, and I have given you a bit of a heads up that we're looking at Deuteronomy 13. So um, what I thought we'd do in this conversation is I've gone to some of the resources that I just mentioned. And uh, from some of the sort of research that I've done, I'm going to try and craft some answers to those questions that Will had. I'll read them out again in case you didn't hear them before. And then I'd just love for you guys to chip in and help me so that I can go back to Will and say, Will, here's, here's my best effort at, at answering your questions from all the stuff that I've looked at and the people that I've talked to. Is that okay? Awesome. Great. Uh, so look, Will's first question was uh, really an absolute doozy. Is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Um, you know, he seems, I loved his word, he seems a lot softer now. Well, you know, ha has God changed? Wow. All right, so uh, let me see. I, I, I had a look, and, and this was one of the questions that I had as well, so I've done a bit of thinking about this. Uh, the first part of my answer to this would be that um, this passage, this, this chapter, doesn't represent the law as a whole. So as we look through all of Deuteronomy, 
Um, it's not that every time you get something wrong, you get stoned for it. <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty specific and harsh um, piece of it. Uh, and actually, if you read through more of it, you see that it's much more compassionate. The, the general tone of it is, um, is of love. So, for instance, um, there are places where it talks about people who are vulnerable, the aliens, the widows and the fathers, and it says, as a community, we need to look after them. So, I guess my first part of my answer would be that if you look at the whole of this law, it is much more compassionate and much more like we would think. The second part, I'll give you three, two, two bits here and then let you chip in. Um, the second bit is this, is that I think Jesus explained to us that God hasn't changed, but that people and society have been changing throughout time. So, so what do I mean by that? Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount by actually referring to a bunch of Deuteronomy. Um, he talks about do not murder, uh, but he extends it. And he says, actually, it's, it's not only the act, but it's your heart. Uh, that, that's what Jesus sees in Deuteronomy. And then he has this explanation in Matthew 19.8, where he says this, Moses gave you the law because people's hearts were hard. People's hearts were hard. And so I think what I see happening is that God's heart for humanity isn't changing, but the way that it manifests itself is different in different contexts, depending on the people and the culture of the day. Now, let, let me pause there, see if that feels like it resonates, and see if you've got any thoughts on this question. Vaughn, I'll go to you first. Is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Yeah, I'd, I'd really resonate with both the question and, and the answer uh, that you've given so far. Um, can I just say how exciting it is to be doing this as a church, like really <laughs> honouring questions? I just feel that's such a healthy thing for us to do. Uh, it's such a good sign when we can be open to, well, you know, why, why is it so? I, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess my very non-theological take on this, because I'm not a theologian by any stretch, is is that um, all of us, including the people at the time that this was written, uh, are interacting with God through our culture, through our, through those lenses. We we can't do it any other way, mm. and uh, so I, I think that um, if we'd gone back to the people of that time, they would have said the same thing. Of course, God is a God of love. It wouldn't have been an issue for them. Mm. Um, but we're in a very, very different time and place. These are certainly good questions. Uh, and I appreciated Will's comments too. Uh, and as you said, Pete, these are questions that Christians and others have grappled with for centuries. And there's volumes written on them. Grappling with it. And certainly God is the same. And, and what I often find is that these passages that challenge us often really challenge just a moment, where are we coming from? Hmm. What are our presuppositions? You know, we live in a society, for instance, where there's all sorts of um, things. If someone murders, oh, you can't allow that to happen in society. What are you going to do about it? You can't have people going around attacking everybody. Uh, you can't just say, oh, look, if you go and purchase someone in court, that's a minor matter. You know, we see all of these as destructive of society. Hmm. Now, are we, not are we not loving if we impose penalties? 
for the good of society, mm. for the good of everybody, for our good. Uh, parents have this with disciplining children. The same thing. And, and this to me is a challenge. You know, this chapter in particular is dealing with there is, you are to worship one God. Mm. And therefore to follow another God has consequences. Because if you're following another God, then you don't really follow the God who is the creator of the universe and the one who loves us. Mm. Um, yeah, that's really helpful, John. And I'll use that as a segue, actually, because one of the things I've also been thinking, and I think it touches on Will's third question, does God kill innocent people? Uh, and I think he used the example of in the city, you know, wipe out the whole town. Yeah. It's this idea of the community versus the individual. And I think that uh, today we live in a society that's far more focused, if you like, on, on individual needs and well-being and perhaps extend that to my immediate family. But I, I, the research that I've done would suggest that the, the Israelites at the time were far more communal, uh, just, just in the sense that um, their weight was given to what's happening for the whole community. Now, I mentioned that passage where it says to the community, you've got to look after the people who are vulnerable. You, you can't just leave them to their own devices. You don't tell them, well, lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, it was actually an outlook that said the, the greater the good of the community is, is really important. And therefore, the idea that if an individual is leading you as a community in the wrong path, you do. There are consequences. In fact, even if a town is leading the nation in the wrong path, there are consequences. So there seemed to be a mindset that was far more focused on a whole community approach um, than, than on an individual. If you want a quick illustration of that yeah. today, look at, it's interesting looking at people's responses to having to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Some say, oh no, my freedom. Yes. No, I do it because of the good of the community. Do it to protect others effectively. I, I may yeah. not be worried about me, mm. but what about others who are vulnerable? Yes. And it's interesting, that sort of debate runs in our society today on a matter of wearing masks. V very similar. Yeah, great, great, uh, great connection. Um, Vaughan, I, I am conscious as well that uh, with our time and, and with people uh, enjoying, I hope, this conversation in their lounge room, uh, we, we could spend a long time on each question, but I want to just keep us moving through them. Um, Will's second question, Vaughan, was uh, why? <laughs> Why did God ask the closest person to be the first to throw the stone? I mean, when I, you know, the bit that stuck out to me in this passage was the wife you love. And I thought, that's Helen. I, I cannot imagine. So it's a brilliant question, isn't it? Why, why is it that person who is asked to throw the first stone? Oh, and by the way, make sure the community comes along. I mean, to my modern sensibility, I really struggle to make heads or tails of that. So I thought I'd pitch it to you. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. fantastic. Do you have any thoughts? I'm horrified by it, just <laughs> yeah. deeply horrified by yeah. it. Um, and I, I can only uh, wrestle with it. I, I don't pretend to have any answers to it, but just that that has to be um, something that was acceptable, possibly even... Um, I think some of these things, from what I've read, were an improvement on the, the practices of the people around them, even though they're quite horrific to us, mm. uh, that just would not be okay today. Um, I don't know, 
I can't comment on to, as to whether it was okay then, um, but I know there are lots of things that we, slavery for instance, you know, we have really moved past that being acceptable mm. um, and that's fantastic. Uh, and this to me is in that camp of, um, I, I cannot comprehend that. From, I can't mentalise about what that would have been like for them because yeah. uh, partly because I don't know enough about their era, but um, it's just incomprehensible to me. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? One of the thoughts that I had was, was looking at the context of the people, and there are two parts to that. You mentioned slavery. We've got to remember that this is Moses talking to, to people who'd come out of hundreds of years of slavery in a day when being a slave meant your master could kill you for absolutely no reason at any time. And so the, the, the context of having come out of that sort of violence and vulnerability gives us some context. Also interesting, if you read, I think it's one of the last few verses in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy. And, and actually Moses spells out that uh, he's talking to this group of people about to go into the promised land. And he said, you know, the people in that land, their religion incorporates child sacrifice. This is the sort of religion we don't want to be moving towards. And that's the explicit example used. So the context here is, you know, we've come out of a place where we could be killed at any time. We're going into a place where they, uh, they practice child sacrifice. To me, that helps just a little bit. Um, and then, John, if I can pitch to you, uh, another thought is around it, even this address from Moses... Is this Moses giving, giving a sermon with some, some points? I mean, did, did, do we have any evidence that you're aware of that people actually did this? Or is this sort of using a, you know, hyperbole to make a point, perhaps? I was, I was trying to think, is there any illustration throughout the rest of the Bible? And, you know, the narrative on uh, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings follows very much from Deuteronomy mm. and is illustration of outworking of the kinds of things Moses says in Deuteronomy. And I'm trying to think of any illustration it's of it, someone who who is put to death because of this. Uh, the nearest I got to was way back, you know, 600 years later, the time of Jeremiah, where you've got Hananiah, who is a false prophet, hmm. who says something that God didn't say. And he is struck dead, but it's not the people who kill him. That's, it's God who is dead, yeah. In that yeah. sense. Uh, you have Elijah, I suppose, killing the prophets of Baal. Mm -hmm. But... Um, it doesn't it, seem to be a widespread practice. It, it, of, it's of, not wide. That, no. That's about the only ones I can think of. Yeah. Look, that's been so helpful. Again, I'm, I'm so, I feel like I want to carry this conversation on. Ah, but we can in the Zoom call. Ah, excellent. Uh, well thought out. Um, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to wrap this bit up because uh, I do want to go back to Will with sort of just those highlights and, and clearly a recognition that this sort of conversation needs a lot more time than we're able to give it right now. But can I say to both of you, thank you. Thank you for uh, uh, just who you are and that, that I and we can come to you and you know, chat these things through. Really appreciate that. And thanks for being prepared to come live on stage with, uh, with everybody at home with questions that we didn't know in advance. So can I just say thank you. Uh, we'll give you the virtual applause. I'll get you guys to head off. Um, so as, as they head off and as you think about this at home, 
I, I guess we're, we're in a place where we need to say we, we won't necessarily have all the answers. But what I do want to do is, is go back to Will, and, uh, and I'll get him back on in a second, and just try and synthesise and summarise what we've found so far, and maybe I'll add another point or two, but without an expectation that I'm going to answer every single question really well. I think this is a long-term journey. So, so let me get Will back. I'm going to try and give him some answers, see how he responds to what I say. So Will, uh, come on back. And uh, once again, we'll get you a mask and a bit of, bit of this. Good man. All right, Will, so uh, good to see you again. A little bit artificial, obviously. Um, I, I have done some research. I went away and I actually used some uh, resources, looked at some books, some scholarly stuff, um, and I talked with a few people in our, in our congregation who uh, are wise and that I really respect. And uh, I'm going to try and give you my answers. But please feel free, you know, if, if these don't cut the mustard, just, just say so, because I don't know that I've nailed everything. So the first question you had was, is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Uh, is, he, is he loving in this Old Testament stuff? Because there's a lot of death going on. Um, is he softer now? And so, uh, look, sort of headlines, headlines of that for me are, are, first of all, that this particular passage is set in a, a broader um, context. So it's set in a whole group of law that Moses is preaching about. He's saying, here's all this stuff. And if you look right through all of that, actually, a lot of that is much more compassionate. It's much more compassionate. And we see Moses talking about, uh, as a community, we've got to look after the vulnerable. We've got to be compassionate and loving. So I definitely see elements strong elements in the overall law that Moses is preaching about that are much more like uh, God that we would see today. In fact, so much so that I would use the phrase Deuteronomy 12 to 26 contains cutting edge human rights stuff, totally different to what that ancient world had. And in fact, is what has led to us being where we are. So we're almost looking back because of the work that God did through the Israelites to see things like social justice um, and human rights. So that's the first part. The second part I'd give you is by, by just by looking at the New Testament, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy a lot. And what I think we see Jesus doing, he, he has this great quote in Matthew 19, 8, where he says, Moses gave you the law because people's hearts were hard. And I think what Jesus is pointing to is that um, God's heart for humanity is unchanging. Actually, the way he loves people hasn't changed, but the outworking and guidance for different times looks different. And, and most particularly, Jesus came and said, actually, here's what God's interested in, it's the heart. We do see that scattered through Deuteronomy, but Jesus really reinforced that for us. Um, I'd add to that, there's some context. These people were coming out of slavery and they were going into a land where they practiced things like child sacrifice. So God is saying, we're in a pretty serious situation, people, and they would have understood that. So, so I think my answer is, is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? My answer is absolutely yes. Um, my answer is he's just as loving but speaking to different people at a different time, it, it looked different. How, do, how does that sit? Yeah, it all makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to process it. I think I'm still just struggling with, oh, it just seems so brutal. Like, couldn't, couldn't God just um, have another way of 
uh, turning that false prophet's sin around uh, instead of wiping that person out or the whole city out. It just seems uh, drastic. Mm. But I think uh, when you compare it to, yeah, like the other uh, religions going on during that time that were practicing child sacrifice, when you compare it to that, um, it's miles ahead, you know? Um, and it's just for uh, the modern West, kind of our approach to things, um, it's hard to get out of that modern West mindset and kind of get into a mindset that might be more like someone in the ancient Near East, you know? Um, yeah, I agree. But, but mm. I absolutely agree. There's still something that's like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I want to believe what you just said, Peter. <laughs> but this passage is tricky. Uh, let, let me just keep moving uh, as well. Um, you also asked the question, why did the person closest have to be the first one to throw the stone? You know what? I don't have a great answer for that at all. I, I, I just cannot understand why God would, would do that. Um, but perhaps the only two thoughts I've got there are that rather than reading this passage as a all about death, I actually think it's God calling people, the Israelites, to life. Because what he's saying is that th those things that would lead you away from me will lead you away from life in me. And it's so important. Uh, and, and I talked briefly with John about this, whether this sermon is actually put in practice or whether it was just making a really, really big point that everyone listened to, um, the point is that God's saying life is found in me and what I'm asking you to do, not following those other religions. So maybe it's a call to life by making a really extreme point. You know, you go and stone. No way, man. You know, I'm, I'm going to react to that. Uh, so that's a possibility. Um, and then question three, I'll just touch on that one. Uh, does God kill innocent people? Well, we talk, what, what does innocent mean? <laughs> First question. Um, but we also talked about the idea of community versus individual and the sense that we have today that it's very much about, about me or the individual's rights. Uh, whereas in, in this day, they were talking more about the whole community and the community's well-being. So better that an individual is no longer with us than they bring down the whole family and clan or better that a town is no longer taking people away from life um, and so it's sort of a more of a community perspective. Um, let me just, before I close, let me just see if you've got reactions to that. I know they're not perfect answers, but has that been helpful at all? Yeah, it has. Thank you. It definitely has. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, yeah, it's good, to, it's good to just chew on this stuff um, and keep thinking about it, and it'll probably be a process that is going to happen for the next 20 years for me <laughs> to yeah. find out the answers, you know. Absolutely. And perhaps as we, we close, and, and then I'll, uh, I'm going to close in prayer in a second, but uh, I think part of the thing, and Vaughn alluded to this, I don't think we need to have all the answers. I think the way I understand Scripture is God's inviting us into this wrestle of what's going on. And if I think about what happened to the Israelites post this sermon from Moses, they wrestled with this for hundreds of years and got it wrong and got exiled and then came back and then God said, hey, here's my son. So I think we're invited into this ongoing, let's ask questions, let's try and understand God, but we'll never understand him perfectly. Will, thanks so much for being open to being part of this. Uh, uh, really enjoy your friendship. Thank you. I'll let you go and I'm going to close in prayer. Thanks, Pat. Good on you. 
All right, hey, I hope that has been helpful for you. I hope we've touched on some of the questions that, that you've had. Uh, as I say, we have a Zoom conversation straight after this service. So if you'd like to join us uh, on the screen now and also after the service or at the end of the service, we've got the meeting code, which you type into Zoom, and the passcode. We'd love to invite you to join us so that we can together continue this discussion. But why don't we just close in prayer together as we close this time. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that you allow us to wrestle. Thank you that you are a God who gives us your son, gives us your word, and invites us into this lifelong journey of getting to know you better. And thank you that all of this stuff we've been reading about was given after you rescued the people. That all of this conversation is given to us after we know that Jesus Christ came for us loves us, died for us, and rose again. So, Heavenly Father, we pray continually for your wisdom and insight, and thank you for the opportunity to get to know you better. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. table. It's good that I can sit here at the moment and around a table because no doubt you're sitting down in your home. Perhaps you have a table in front of you. We come and we remember the words of Jesus when you spoke about the blood of the new covenant. A couple of weeks ago at the start of the Deuteronomy series, people who were here and in the service received a little scroll. The Bible project material on the book of Deuteronomy, which says a call to covenant faithfulness. Covenant's not a word we use much, but it's used a lot in the Bible. We read Deuteronomy where Moses reminds the people of the covenant that God made with the people on Mount Sinai. Covenants were common in the ancient world where great kings made covenants with lesser kings. And the great king would always say, look at all of the good things I have done for you. Now give me total allegiance and I will continue to do good things for you. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. God had delivered the people and he wanted them to respond by giving him total allegiance. Indeed, he said, I'm making a covenant with you. Don't make a treaty with the peoples you're going to be amongst. And the word covenant and treaty is the same in Hebrew. Don't make a treaty because you've made a treaty with me. I've made a treaty with you, I've made a covenant. And now Jesus says, this is a new covenant. It builds on the old covenant. For Jesus introduced this at the Passover, which was celebrating the old deliverance. But now Jesus has delivered us 
And as we come and we eat and we drink, Jesus is again saying to us, I have delivered you. God is our Savior. I have brought you new life through my death. And we respond, not by just looking, not by just saying, but by eating and drinking. We say again afresh, yes, we give you total allegiance. And as Yvette reminded us last week, it's not as if God and our allegiance to Christ is part of the pie of our life. It's rather the pie pan that shapes everything we do. Our allegiance to Christ, this meal and all that it signifies, shapes everything that we do. And so Jesus took the bread and he broke it gave it to his disciples saying take eat this is my body given for you and whatever you have there representing the bread the body of Christ eat now with thanksgiving same way Jesus took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant a new commitment that God makes to us and in return the commitment we make to God in trust we give to him ourselves Jesus says to all of us we are bound together we are one body one cup and in eating and drinking, just as the people of Israel link themselves to one another as brothers and sisters, we join together as a community of brothers and sisters of Christ, drinking. So drink together. Christ our Lord, this morning we gather in our separate homes, our separate places, and yet we are brought together by your blood. We're brought together by your love for us. This morning as we eat and drink, perhaps even the very fact that we are physically separated as a reminder that around this globe, there are millions who likewise, in differing ways, eat and drink. Together, we commit ourselves afresh to you with thanksgiving for all that you have done for us. And we remain minded too that you died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And so by your grace, help us to live our total commitment to you, our loving you with all that we are and all that we have, that others may also come to know you. 
so we give to you our thanks. Amen.